Well, we are engaging in the scintillating experience of studying the Westminster Standards. And we're continuing tonight in chapter 11. We began last week with the first paragraph of chapter 11 of justification. So i got to bring us forward to here. Last week we saw justification is through faith alone. The classic statement of Westminster Confession 11.1 is one of the most thorough and clear statements on justification. We did that last week. So let's pick up from there. Faith is the alone instrument of our justification is the point of the second paragraph. Let me read it. Faith thus receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness is the alone instrument of justification. Yet is it not alone in the person justified, but it is ever accompanied with all other saving graces and is no dead faith. That's, a, that's supposed to be not workety, but worketh by love. And there weren't that wonky in there, Elizabethan English. Well, first of all, this is careful definition of faith as the instrument of justification. And they're working their way forward. And by the way, this is a classic example of what the whole Westminster Assembly is all about. They weren't trying to define their salvation. They weren't trying to figure it out. They all showed up having their theology straight. It was how to articulate it best. And this is a classic statement that's been such a help. Because what what do they mean by it's an instrument? Well, it's something you do that's not a work, biblically. It's not something that originates in you. It's not something that merits anything, and yet you do it. And so what they mean when they say it is the alone instrument of justification, it's the link between us and Christ and his benefits. I've heard uh, 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 illustrations I think are helpful. Uh, If grace is, if you have to think of a... uh, uh, lemonade. There's a lemonade container. It's a hot Sunday afternoon, and God's grace is like the lemonade. It has to be poured into something. There has to be some way for what's in that container to get into you, and there's an instrument by which that is done. It's the cup. A Donald Gray Barnhouse would use the chain on a bicycle. That Christ is producing the work, but if something has to transfer it to you, and the chain transfers the pedals to the wheels. Hope those are helpful. Faith is, by instrument, is meant to be a neutral term that says it's something other than a work. But it's a real thing. Faith is something we do. Of course, it originated, there's a whole chapter on faith coming up. But faith is, is, is it's, we exercise it, but it is the instrument of our justification. And it's the only instrument. It's the alone instrument. And, of course, they're particularly saying we're justified by faith alone apart from the contribution of our works. Galatians 2.16, of course, is a clear statement. We know a man is not justified by works, but by faith. Now, it goes on and says, in justification, faith receives Christ and rests upon his finished work. Uh, Going back to it. uh, Thus receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness. Notice that in justification, we might say our faith is passive. I actually don't like that term. But I think it's helpful. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to my cross I cling. My palms are up in justification. I am receiving something that has been given to me as a gift. I didn't produce it. I didn't contribute to it. It's a gift to me. And my faith are the hands by which I receive it. And we also rest upon Christ and his saving work. That language is found in a number of ways in the New Testament. I think of Colossians 2.6. Therefore, as you received 
Christ Jesus as Lord. That's the whole idea of a gift that is received by us. Faith is how we receive it. And yet they want to make sure, here's the point where they're going to say, we're justified by faith alone, but the faith that justifies never actually is alone. Faith, there's, faith and works always go together, although it is not works, it's faith alone, but the, but the true faith, a saving faith, will go on to do good works. Faith will always bear the fruit of good works. And you're probably thinking of James chapter 2. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Speaking of Abraham, faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. Now you may know that Martin Luther didn't like the book of James. And by the way, if our theology causes us to say about a book of scripture that we don't like it, then our theology has got a wonk in it somewhere. I had somebody say to me, a PCA minister, you know, I just don't like James. I'm like, well, then you need to start liking it. Because we don't get to pick and choose which, which books of the Bible we like. But there's a misunderstanding, frankly, with Luther, uh, as is so often true of the revolutionaries. James is not, it's not that Paul says justification through faith alone, and, and James says justification by faith and works. Paul, I put it this way, Paul says, you, the sinner, are justified by faith alone, but your faith is justified by works. Does that make sense? That's, that's what he's saying. How do I know that I have faith? Because it's bearing fruit. Jesus says a tree is known by its fruit. And I've had people say to me before, I believe everything I'm supposed to, this is an actual conversation. It was like 30 years ago, but I've been been reminding people of it ever since. It was so remarkable. I believe everything I'm supposed to believe. I have faith in everything I'm supposed to believe. And it's had no impact on my life. And I said to him, According to your definition, you are not a Christian. That is not biblical faith. The faith that God gives, it's of his grace, is not a dead faith. That's what the divines are saying. It's a living faith. So let's be clear. Let's keep our categories clear. We're justified by faith alone, but true and living faith will, by definition, lead to good works. Uh, I use the example of, uh, of Noah. Uh, Noah believed God. God comes to Noah and says, oh, by the way, there's going to be a great flood. And he says, what is a flood? Well, okay, it's really got a lot of water and people drown. What is drowning? You can imagine this conversation. None of this has happened before. And so finally, get to the end of the conversation, and James goes, okay, I believe. I believe there's going to be a great flood. And I believe the only way out of that flood is by this massive battleship-sized boat that I'm supposed to build, and I get 120 years to do it. There's the good news. And so I'm going to build that boat, I believe, and that's going to cause us to escape. Now, what would we say to James if we went by him like a year later and said, hey, James, how's that boat coming? Oh, I haven't gotten around to it. What are you doing? I'm not doing anything. Well, I I thought this was going to be like a worldwide flood and everybody's going to die unless they're in the boat. Yeah, I believe that. No, no, you don't believe. If you believed it, you'd be chopping down trees. You'd be studying. I mean, you'd be doing something. If you believe, if, I'll change the meta, let me change the metaphors. If you believe, not what I'm about to say is not going to happen, but if you believe that an explosive device was going to go off in this room, you would be running for the doors. If you are not running for the doors, yeah, that's my reward. You know, did, we didn't know what a comedian he was until the sports banquet, did we? I mean, this is, uh, we need, uh, you know, I see a future MC for the Valentine's Banquet, which Mel killed. But right there. <laughs> the, uh, thank you, brother. Um, see, he believed it, but the rest of you did not. You see my point. 
Faith produces responses. And faith in Jesus leads to a changed life. Uh, and James is not in conflict with Paul. James says, if you have faith, that claim to faith will be justified by good works. Paul is saying, you are justified by faith alone. And faith is ever accompanied with all other saving graces working by love. You think of Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters. Uh, The only thing that counts is faith working through love. And that faith working through love language is found in, in the Apostle John. It's found frequently in the Scripture. The particular thing that faith bears is love. Love for God, love for man. Now, here's the slide I was going... Isn't this a good-looking slide? I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with this slide. This is my union with Christ slide. Now, I have a Cairo in the middle. I don't want to do an image of Jesus, right? And uh, that, that the Cairo is the first two letters in the Greek alphabet of Christos. The early church uses the symbol of Christ. So here's how it works. Faith joins you to Christ. And then, and we have, we're saved. You are justified by Jesus, You are sanctified by Jesus. How do you belong to Jesus? Through faith. You have union with Christ through faith. And you get all of Christ or none of Christ. And biblically, we're going to break down the two chief benefits of union with Christ as a forensic benefit, a legal benefit, called justification. The forgiveness of your sins and the the acceptance of God's justice. The other benefit of faith in Christ is the transformative benefit. And you look in your New Testament, it's all over it. we got two massive, be of sin, the double cure, cleanse me from its guilt and power. And I realize that's not Scripture, it's rock of ages, but I mean, he's right. That's the perspective of Scripture. we got two fundamental categorical problems. i got a legal problem, I'm guilty before God, I therefore deserve his wrath. Oh, I'm also corrupt, and I need to be changed You get both of them at the same time. Through faith, we receive Christ and rest upon him. We benefit from justification. He paid the debt of our sins. He he, uh, did the works that we need to be righteous. At the same time, the same Christ sanctifies us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so three things I want to say about justification and sanctification is that they're distinct. Justification and sanctification are different benefits of Christ. One is a legal issue. It's by faith alone. It it, it causes me to be accounted righteous. Sanctification is not, it it is by, by an active faith that produces good works. When we get to sanctification, we're now talking about your works. Now, here's the thing not to do. The thing not to do is not to base your justification on your sanctification. This is what people do. So I'll say to you, how do you feel like you stand before God's judgment, God's justice? You know, I've had a bad day, so not doing so well. Well, we're talking justification. Do you, do you have faith in the Lord Jesus? Is it a living faith? Yes, I do. Then you're, then you're just. It's not based on your works. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the good news. Um, so there, for the works do not contribute to our, not our works, Christ's work. My works don't contribute to my justification. My works absolutely contribute to my sanctification. And so that we're going to keep them separate. Justification and sanctification are to be thought of differently. But they're inseparable. 
you have this persistent idea in particularly American and British Christianity that there's a two-stage Christian life. At one point you get converted and you're justified, and sometime later you'll work on sanctification. Sometimes it comes out in what's called higher life theology. You need to have an experience, a second blessing of the Holy Spirit, something like that is what it's called. And then and, and you have this, this causes some people are carnal Christians and some people are spiritual Christians. Well, there are no carnal Christians, at least not unless we all are. We're still dealing with the flesh. But this idea of saved people who are justified, who are still living in the flesh and are not sanctified, that is not a, that is not a biblical option. There is no carnal Christian. We are all spiritual Christians. Yes, we're still sinners, but we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. In fact, the reason that it's simultaneous and inseparable is that it is the work of the Holy Spirit who brings us to faith. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit who causes us to be born again, which is the beginning of our, justif- of our sanctification. And so justification and sanctification are different things Christ does for us. And, and the big thing here is, do not allow your mind to think that I am, I, am my, I am not justified because of my behavior, because I fall short. Well, we know you fall. That's why you have a Savior. You're justified by Christ and his complete finished work received by faith alone. You are as justified right now as you will be in all eternity because you receive and rest upon a finished righteousness. Now, the good news is, you're, well, I suppose the bad news, but it becomes good news is, you're not as holy as you're going to be. You are going to be more sanctified now, I, I, I hope, soon. I mean, we, we should be working on it. I hope me too soon. We're to be growing in our holiness, but we do not grow in our justification. So it's union with Christ, justifies us, and sanctifies us. They're different things, but they're inseparable, and they actually happen at the same time. Sinners are justified and sanctified by Christ in his person and work. For me, the language of union with Christ just makes my heart want to sing. Through faith, I am his and he is mine. I receive the benefit of all he accomplished, and, and I receive the whole Christ, not just a part of him. Okay, that was paragraph two. Let's go to paragraph three, which is justification by grace. It says this. Christ, by his obedience and death, did fully discharge the debt of all those that are justified and did make a proper, real, and full satisfaction to his Father's justice on their behalf. Yet inasmuch as he was given by the Father for them and his obedience and satisfaction accepted in their stead and both freely, not for anything in them, their justification is only a free grace." in order that both the exact justice and the rich grace of God may be glorified in the justification of sinners. Now you want to go, well done, fellas. That's another good statement. We are justified through faith and by grace. It's by God's grace alone that we are justified. Let me work through this. Uh, Why is it by grace? Well, inasmuch as our Justification is provided by Christ and his saving work. Everything you need to be justified before the Father, Christ has done on your behalf. And they are primarily two things. He paid the debt of your sin to the justice of God. We call that his passive obedience. And he also fully satisfied God's justice on your behalf through his perfect life of active obedience. 
And I have there Matthew 28, 20. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then Isaiah 53, 11, where he says, he shall see his, his, he shall see them and be satisfied. God is satisfied in you legally if you are in Christ. And so Christ paid the debt of my sin and he gives me the righteousness I need to stand before God and that is all the gift of God. That is the gift of God. He was God's gift for our justification. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I mentioned John 17, 4. It's the beginning of Jesus' high priestly prayer. And it's where he says, Father, I have glorified you by accomplishing the work that you gave me to do. Now, that's thrilling. God the Son was incarnate. He came into this world on a mission from the Father. And, of course, he's talking about his death that he's about to conclude. And Jesus accomplished the righteousness I need. And that was something God the Father sent him to do. Oh, by the way, this means never think that God the Father really kind of hates you because you're so unworthy. But, you know, he has to accept you because Jesus died for your sins. Don't forget who sent his son to die for your sin. Jesus is the gift of the Father to you. Uh, you think of the, uh, the illustration in World War II, the... Uh, um, a family that lost a son in the war, there'd be a gold star in the window. And the little boy's walking around at night. And he says, Daddy, what are those gold stars? He says, those are, those are families that gave a son for us. And then the, the, it becomes nighttime and he sees a star in heaven. He goes, oh, Daddy, whose star is that? And his father said, God gave his son. He gave Jesus. It's God's gift for you. And so justification is by grace alone. God sent his son and it's apart from any merit on our part. You and I, if I stood before the justice of God, I would be utterly condemned in and of myself. Uh, and you go, oh, you're a pretty good guy. No, I'm not a pretty good guy. Not in God's justice terms. Break out the Ten Commandments, apply it to my heart. You'll go, oh, my word, our pastor needs to go to hell. Yes, he does. And so do you. I have no merit of there. And you go, oh, he's done some good things. No, not, 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 I have, this is Isaiah 64, 6. Even the best things I have ever done, I need to repent of. There's some stain and corruption of sin. And as you grow as a Christian, you become more aware of that. You know, as you grow as a Christian, you actually don't become self-righteous. You become a little self-loathing. <laughs> and you start going, wow, I'm really bad. I mean, I, everything I do has got some corruption to it. It's true. But let it show you how full is that justification you have by God's grace. And God, I love this. God is glorified. You say, why would God justify a sinner? For his own glory. And he glorifies his justice. You go, you go, how can God be glorified in his justice by justifying sinners? Because Christ satisfied that justice. And so the justice of God looks at them and goes, paid in full. This, is, this obedience, this righteousness that Christ has won for them, yes. And that means for you, God's justice points to you and says, justified. And of course, he's, he's glorified in his mercy and his grace. It was to show his righteousness at the present time in order that he would be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's all of grace. Now, one of the issues, you're going to get some paragraphs in the confession that deal with 
false teaching they were dealing with. And one of them was called eternal justification. And you go, no, I like eternal justification. No, no, you actually don't. You were not justified in eternity. You were elected in eternity. I was justified on October 26th or so, 1990. I was not justified. I was going to be justified, but I was not justified until I believed in Jesus Christ. And so they say God did from all eternity decree to justify all the elect. So in eternity, there's a decree of my justification. And Christ did in the fullness of time die for their sins and rise again for their justification. That's true. Nonetheless, they are not justified until the Holy Spirit doth in due time actually apply Christ unto them. And this is why you have to believe to be saved. This is a biblical way of salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You go, well, I'm elect. You have no idea if you're elect or not until you believe. The elect is the description of how believers became believers. If you're not a believer, there is no hope for you apart from believing in Jesus. Uh, Grace does not invalidate the requirement of faith. Uh, Paragraph 5. God doth continue to forgive the sins of those that are justified, and although they can never fall from the state of justification, yet they may, by their sins, fall under God's fatherly displeasure and not have the light of his countenance restored unto them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, beg pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. Let's look at this. First of all, justification is once and for all and forever. Think of these great statements. I I, I think of them often. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. I, I love the present tense there. You believe in Jesus, you presently have eternal life. And an eternal life that can be lost is not eternal. (laughs) And you have it. The moment you believe, you are a recipient and an heir. Yes, there's a major qualitative issue to it, but there's a quantitative aspect to it too. Or John 5, 24, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. What do you mean by that, Jesus? He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And so the moment the sinner believes savingly on Jesus, his or her judgment has been settled. They have passed from death to life. They will not be condemned to eternal death. They will receive eternal life. And of course, you know, I can't resist throwing in 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from all our sins. Because you go, well, what about a sin I wasn't aware of? Well, yeah. I mean, if you, if some people say you can only be forgiven of sins you've actively confessed. I'm not even aware of most of my sins. You'd have to ask my wife for a whole catalog of ones I haven't even thought of. You know, and my children and the pastor, oh, he didn't even know he's got this sin issue. But, you know, you start peeling the onion away. I'm, 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 I, the Lord has all kinds of sins against me that I may ever never figure out. I, I think of Bobby Hauser, who many of you never met, but she died a few years ago. She was 98. And I saw her in the, ho- in the nursing home and I said, Bobby, uh, 98 years old. And she was, remember, is Jill here? She was size zero, trying to get clothes for little Bobby. And I said, Bobby, how can I pray for you? She said, Pastor, pray that, God, pray that I would repent of my sins. And she, she was a fun person, had a good sense of humor. I said, you know, Bobby, how much sin can you commit at 98 in the nursing home? She goes, Pastor, you'd be surprised. 
So she was pretty aware of her sins. But no, I'm forgiven of the sins I haven't thought about. I am forgiven of the sins I haven't committed yet. The blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all our sin. And you think of lines like Hebrews 8.12. I will be merciful towards their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. Now people say, how can you forget something you know? But, but notice that it's an action of God. He is, he, it's not that he, for, he says, I, he doesn't say, oh, I forgot. He says, no, I, I, I have willed that I will not remember. Now he's done that by having Jesus cover those sins in his blood and by fulfilling all righteousness. And so justification is once for all and forever. Now this means that there is no two-tiered justification. What do I mean? Well, we had this thing called the Federal Vision and the New Perspective on Paul a few years ago. And, and you'll get these things. You'll, you'll run across, so I bring it up. And they'll talk about the difference between present justification and future justification. And they will point out quite accurately that your justification has not yet been fully realized because the last judgment hasn't come. And so there is a future event in my future that is necessary for my justification. It hasn't happened yet. There is a future to my justification. But here's the thing, according to the New Testament. If you are justified through faith now, you are certain to be justified by faith on that day, by Christ in that day. And the problem what they'll do is they'll smuggle works in. N.T. Wright would be the classic person who does this. He actually writes in his, and he was all the rage. Uh, he's not so much the rage anymore, but he was this Anglican guy, very erudite scholar, and he wore the heavy chain, and he was, he was, he was very much the postmodern guy, and brilliant. I grant he's brilliant. And he, his thing was, you're justified by faith now, but that is a pledge of good works that you will do later, and it's those good works that will actually cause Jesus to justify you in the final judgment. Well, that's justification by works. That's what that is. But the New Testament's crystal clear. If you are justified now, that justification is just as good then as it is now. Uh, I love how uh, Bunyan and Pilgrim's Progress, there's a certificate, and he's given their certificate uh, when he believes and he presents, what, what certificate does he present at the celestial city? The same one he got on the day when he believed. If you are justified now, that justification will be valid on that day. Why? Because it's Christ who sits on that throne. And he died for your sin. And you will be clothed in his righteousness. He will justify you. So I, I admit I'm really unhappy about that teaching uh, because it, it does nothing but sow doubt and confusion. It's a false gospel. Uh, yes, there is a sense in which we would talk about future justification. I have not yet died. Uh, so I have that to look forward to. And I have not yet, the final judgment has not yet come. But I am to be 100% per- certain right now that I am in Christ. And look at First John, uh, John 10, 28. Jesus says, I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Uh, that's not hedging on the final judgment. That's promising that those, and by the way, what comes before then is, I know my sheep, my sheep know me. They hear my voice and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And so if you hear the voice of Christ in his gospel, you believe and you're his disciple, Jesus says, you will never perish. So none of this... Well, we've got a certain kind of justification now, but it's a different kind of justification on the last day. And maybe you're thinking, 
wow, people are teaching that stuff? Yes, they are. And when you hear that, you should go, not get out of here. All right. Uh, think of uh, justification can never be lost. Look at 1 Peter 1, 4 to 5. I love this statement. We've been, we, we've been granted an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. Now, yes, there's an eschatology to my salvation. There's future things yet to happen. But how certain are they if I am currently saved? They are absolutely certain. I'm being guarded by God's power through faith. Now, if you say, oh, I'm not a believer, well, then this is not for you. And you you go, well, I believe now. Do I have to believe tomorrow? Of course you do, and you will if you're a true believer. But I am being guarded through faith for that eternal judgment. But then you also have discipline. While justification cannot be lost, the joy and peace of it most certainly can be obscured by sin and sloth or whatever. Uh, You think of David and uh, both the Psalms I'm quoting here uh, result from David's sin with Bathsheba, which was a rather big deal, of course. And it wasn't just a one-off event. It was a whole complex of spiritual decline. Then these two heinous sins of adultery and murder... And afterwards, he says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Now, David's justified the whole time. Does he, does he have the peace of it? Well, no. He's living in flagrant, unrepentant sin from God. So what he, whether he's, of course, if he hadn't repented, you know, what's the difference between a, a backslider who's really saved and an apostate? Well, you don't know the difference until they respond. The, the backslider is one who does repent and come back. The, the apostate is one who doesn't. But while David was in that state of unrepented sin, he's miserable. He can't sleep. And it wasn't just you know, his own existential dread. God's hand is upon him. God is spiritually afflicting him. And you go, well, well so, so God, even though I'm justified, he doesn't want me to sin? Correct. Correct. And, and if you're going to lead flagrant, unrepented sin, do not say, do not think you're going to have the peace of your justification. And then Psalm 51, this is after he repents. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Now that says that David had not had the joy of his salvation. Why? Because he was living in flagrant, unrepented sin. Now the next thing is fathers, it turns out, can be displeased. Any fathers here? Can fathers be displeased? Yes. And do you love your children? You're gonna, you, are you going to accept? Look, God is our father, not our grandfather. Now, let me just, as an aside, say how ready I am. I think Joe Martin can echo me on this. I am ready to be an indulgent grandfather. I'm getting older year by year. Anybody's watching here? No, but. Uh, and I'm looking forward to being a, a, a recklessly indulgent grandparent who drives my children crazy. I don't know if I'll be that bad, but I, I, I'm enjoying thinking about being irresponsible. That's not how I was with a father. Uh, fathers love their children, they accept their children, and they discipline their children. And so your justification is what the divine... Because some people will say, you know, I'm a, I'm a saint now, not a sinner. And God accepts me, therefore there can't be any discipline. And I want to go, what planet are you living on? Here's what the scripture says. Listen to Psalm 89, 30 to 33. This is one of the proof texts. I wouldn't have thought of this, but it's a proof text in the confession. 
if his children forsake my law, and he's talking about a believer, if the believer's children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes, but I will not remove my steadfast love or be, or be false to my faithfulness. Now, there's a believer, there's a, there's a person who's eternally, they're justified forever, but they're living in flagrant disobedience to God, and while he is going to save them, it's going to be painful. I will punish their transgression with the rod. And then you think of the New Testament teaching in Hebrews 12. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. In fact, if you're a believer and you're leading flagrant unrepented sin and you get discipline, you go, what do you mean by discipline? Bad things happening in and to you that come from God. You go, why is he doing this? Because he loves you. He goes on and says, to have a harvest of righteousness. I tell the story of being on a plane a few years ago, five years ago, maybe, maybe longer than that, uh, maybe 20, 15, something like that. I can't remember. And uh, I had my beloved aisle seat. I love my aisle seat. I get it with American Airlines because I got a lot of miles with them. I get the middle seat with Delta anyway. But uh, so it must have been American, so I had the aisle seat. And in the middle was this five-year-old rotten little sinner. And there's this indulgent father on the window. And the boy is out of control with the noise and the thrashing. And he's hitting his father. And the father's bribing him. I'm, I'm sitting next to him and I'm going, what do I do? What do I do? And I'm so tempted to say to him, excuse me, sir, I'm a qualified Christian father, I'd be happy to beat your child, I mean, discipline your child for you. <laughs> and I thought about it and I got, you know, at the end of the day, I don't really care. I can suck it up for another 45. He's not my son. It's not my problem. It's not my responsibility. I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not unloving towards him, but he's not my boy. I'm never going to see him. You know, he's just going to show up in sermons for the next 50 years that I preach. But, uh, uh, but see, God does love you. And you go, oh, but I'm justified. That's a different category. But justified Christians can be disciplined by God. And it can be painful. It can include death. This is 1 Corinthians eleven thirty to 32. This is actually about wrongfully taking the Lord's Supper. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So you say, you mean God justified people who are in Christ, who he loves, he might kill them? Absolutely, that's what that's saying. Absolutely, that's what that's saying. And, and, you, and what happened when they died? They went to heaven. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, for some people, it'll be like a man escaping from a burning house. Their lives didn't accomplish much. They, don't, they didn't send anything ahead of themselves. But in Christ, they are still saved. Now, that means that while we're justified once for all, and you are as just now as you will be in all eternity, you and I need to be humble before the Lord. And we need to be confessing our sins. I thought my sins were paid for. We're not talking forensic anymore. Now it's a relationship. It's a filial relationship with your father. You need to go to him and go, you know, Dad, uh, I really am, I, I need to confess to you that I did it again. You know, I, I spoke hastily or I, whatever it was. And, uh, and, and, and apply, Lord, I, I pray, Father, that by the blood of Jesus that you would cleanse me of my sin. And you're really not talking about justification. Justified people need to be 
existentially cleansed of their sins in our relationship with the Father. We need to repent. We need to renew our faith and repentance. Lastly, uh, there's a statement about the Old Testament. The justification of believers under the Old Testament was in all these respects one and the same with justification of believers under the New Testament. That's a hugely important statement. Probably as many evangelical Christians would deny that as would affirm it. But of course, there's only one way to be saved after the fall. And it's not by chance that what's the first promise that God made in Genesis 3 to the serpent, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And so God's first response to the fall was to promise the Messiah. And what's the picture he gave to Adam and Eve when they believed? He, he took, they, were, they, they needed to be clothed, and so he slew lambs in their place. And this is Genesis 3.21. And he clothed them. Penal substitutionary atonement, the imputation of Christ's righteousness. Genesis 3.21. And all through the Old, Old Testament religion is various pictures of Christ. I, I mentioned Psalm 51. David says in verse 7, Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. And you go, what's, what's hyssop? Well, it's a brush. It's actually like a fungal plant that they use as a brush. It still grows on the wailing wall, by the way. That's hyssop you see in the walls. And the priest would dip the hyssop in the blood of the sacrificed animal and shake it upon you. So is David saying, okay, look, I, I committed adultery with Bathsheba. Some might even say rape. And I, I committed murder on her husband. All I need is for some guy in a funny hat to take this sponge-like thing and, and sprinkle, you know, goat blood on me. No, no, he's not. He's saying this is all a picture of Christ. David was believing in Jesus. Old Te- and I actually think that Old Testament saints knew more. They connected more dots than we give them credit. You know, scholars love to say, oh, they didn't know. Uh, it's come up in some of my sermons where you go, that's a pretty advanced gospel faith. They knew there was a Messiah who was to come. They knew he was of the line of David. Once you get Isaiah 53, you get penal substitutionary atonement. You get the imputation of Christ's righteousness. They were believing in Jesus. Why? There is no other way by which we can be saved. When Peter said in Acts 4.12, there is no other name under heaven and earth by which we may be just saved, That's not an innovation. Christ is the only Savior. The Old Testament is fulfilled in him. They were looking forward to him. We look back on him. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Father in heaven, I thank you for this tour through the 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 Westminster Confession on justification. And I pray that it would be helpful, Lord. I pray that people would even go back and look at it if they had questions and see that wonderful, clear language showing what Scripture's teaching. Father, we thank you for the truth of it, that not just some abstract people, but me personally, us personally, uh, we are worthy of your condemnation, but you chose to glorify your grace and your justice in our justification. We can only thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that, we thank Jesus that he loved us and he bore our sins upon the cross. And Father, help us to realize this is the message above all other messages people need to hear that Jesus died, that sinners might be justified through faith alone in him. We thank you for our faith in him by which we are justified. Give us peace. Give us joy. But Lord, we know that comes as we walk in your way. So we pray for that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.